For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson with the latest readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up email newsletter. And unsurprisingly, our top story this week too was the Ukraine crisis and its implications for Western energy, climate, and security policy, which many people are now recognizing are not three things, but one. And for a brief moment after Russia invaded Ukraine, there was a burst of sanity where people pretty much across the spectrum said, yeah, we probably better stop indulging the radical greens who want us to have nothing and be happy now that we're starting to run out of things and it's not making us happy. But that was last week. Now BBC environmental analyst Roger Harabin concedes that some people favor nuclear while conservative commentators want fracking. But he insists quote, cheap or even free results, end quote, can be gained by just using less oil and gas, turning the thermostat down, jamming one of your grandparents' sausage insulators under doors, only heating rooms while you're in them, cutting the speed limit to 55 miles an hour, and running trains less quickly and less often. Cool. I mean, just think how much you could save by doing without food, too. As for the deplorables who still want to have stuff, like food, clothing, and shelter, quote, the public might accept the restrictions if they were persuaded of an urgent need, end quote. But they already are. The urgent need to develop our domestic energy sources, for the sake not just of our prosperity, but also of our security. Extinction Rebellion doesn't care. They rave in with plans to, quote, block major UK oil refineries in April as part of their rebellion beginning on April 9th, end quote. And while they're doing it, they're going to hector miserable passers-by with rhetoric like, quote, the Ukraine conflict and the climate crisis have the same underlying cause, the imperialist pursuit of land and resources for profit, concentrating power in the hands of toxic individuals and corporations. By decarbonizing our economies, we can take power back from warmongers and change course, averting climate breakdown and collapse. But it must happen now, before governments use the conflict as an excuse to get off Russian oil and gas, only to begin drilling closer to home, end quote. Say, there's an idea. For once, ER said something we're interested in. Now, for a slightly lighter tone, and to make Canadians happy, we've got a story about climate change involving beavers. Unfortunately, it's in Alaska, but it is an unusually creative entry in the climate silliness sweepstakes, because it says climate breakdown might turn Alaska into a farming powerhouse which for us conjures up images of pesky castores canadenses sinking their rabbit-like buck teeth into Elmer Fudd's carrots. Why not, since the whole beavers of climate death thing really is cartoonish? You see, the underlying idea, as so often, is that climate is so fragile that a minor disturbance can tip it over right into the crack of doom. In this case, quote, recent studies have highlighted a vicious circle of expanding Arctic beaver populations and global warming, end quote. Problem being that their dams cause permafrost to thaw, quote, releasing huge stores of greenhouse gases, end quote. Huge. So never mind that before humans came and made them all into hats or just got rid of them because their dams annoyed us, there were umpty squillion of these little flat-tailed menaces roaming North America. Seriously, estimates vary from 60 to 400 million, the science being not so settled. And they were all thawing the, the permafrost without getting a fire going. Just as they didn't start a runaway greenhouse effect in the previous Eemian interglacial, though it was substantially warmer than our own, and likewise the polar bears and coral didn't go extinct back then. Also to cheer you up, it's inspiring to learn that the ship Endurance from Ernest Shackleton's Antarctic expedition was just found, especially once you realize that it was found 10,000 feet down, or 3,000 meters if you must, in the frigid ocean off Antarctica, and it's hard enough to find something you dropped in three inches of snow in your driveway. 
As one newspaper put it, quote, previous attempts to locate the 144-foot-long wooden wreck, whose location was logged by its captain, Frank Worsley, had failed due to the hostile conditions of the ice-covered Weddell Sea under which it lies, end quote. Hang on. Ice-covered Weddell Sea today? Then how on earth did they manage to sail a wooden ship in there over a century ago if, as we're constantly assured, the ice has been reeling back in the last 50 years due to unprecedented warming? And now, a word from our sponsor. And that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. Please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money, though. If you've got it, we'll take it. $2 a month, $3, $5. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. Speaking of things we're told that don't quite match the facts, if you're tired of the end of winter, you're not alone, because where we live, it seems to be stretching out interminably. And to make it worse, apparently climate change now means mosquitoes in winter, according to a doctor on NBC's Think, who encountered some of the miserable little bugs in Washington, D.C. in December and immediately blamed global warming. The day after her article appeared, a vast winter storm hit 41 of 50 states. And as late as March 12th, the Washington Post was still advising, quote, refreeze and wind risks into tonight, end quote, for D.C. itself. So there were large clouds swirling around that weren't mosquitoes, but snow dust. Doesn't matter. According to the doctor, quote, living in a world affected by climate change is a part of our daily reality. It is what climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe refers to as global weirding, end quote. And okay, we concede that it's weird that people would think that mosquitoes flourish in winter, and that, as a result, we're all going to get West Nile, Deng, Chukungunya, and Zika. But then, we are living in a world affected by climate paranoia, whose symptoms include anxiety, mental breakdown, and political correctness. For instance, an obtuse call to block energy pipelines if they don't come from Russia. Now, with all these things going on, you might be wondering why everyone isn't a climate alarmist. At any rate, they're wondering that over at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, where they assembled a roundtable of scientists, some of them social scientists, not climate scientists, to discuss what they call the, quote, scientific understanding of why arguments for delaying action on climate change are appealing, end quote, and how they can be countered. And if you answered, well, if you're so obviously right, try refuting them using facts and logic, or thought the science behind it was that there's science that calls into question global warming alarmism, you better go sit in the corner, because the assembled experts instead zeroed in on the real issue, the need to expose the dark conspiracy that controls the world. They said there, quote, have been for decades and still are forces arrayed against the cause of climate action, running the gamut from self-interest and short-term thinking to deliberate disinformation campaigns that are as insidious as they are invidious, end quote. Well, yeah, either that or what you're proposing is expensive and unworkable. Whereas here's a story about something that's cute and unworkable. Someone wants to bring back the woolly mammoth. Now, we think it's a cool idea, and we think it might work as far as it goes, but... Of course, the news story begins, quote, a Dallas company trying to use ancient genetic material to create modern-day versions of woolly mammoths, a quest aimed at fighting climate change and advancing healthcare, has raised $75 million from venture capitalists, the billionaire producer of Jurassic World, and Paris Hilton, end quote. And you're going, what? Not what, Paris Hilton, but what? How will Arctic elephants save us all? Ah, you see, the plan here is that they'll stop the snow flat, allowing cold to penetrate back down to the permafrost, and thus saving the Earth, even from all those beavers busy thawing it out. 
Though we have to point out that if they do revive, the mammoths may find that less has changed in the Arctic than, for instance, the Canadian government thinks. For instance, this week our sunburnt lands up north series visited Chesterfield Inlet Nunavut on the northwest shore of Hudson Bay, whose Inuit name, Iglulgarjuk, apparently means place with few houses. No fooling! According to Wikipedia, the coldest temperature on record for January is minus 46 degrees Celsius, but you add in the wind chill, you get minus 66, and for February, the wind chill record is minus 71. Okay, but was it even worse before global heating? Since the records go back to 1931, we'll let you be the judge. Here are the January average daytime highs up to 2014, and here are February and March. Even by Arctic standards, it's ridiculously cold, although February and March do look like they eased off a bit after 1980. But not enough to get above minus 20 in March, so if it's heat you're after, you'll want your sofa somewhere other than Chesterfield Inlet. In the newsletter, we also continue our summary of a comprehensive new peer-reviewed survey of extreme weather trends, this week looking at droughts. You know, these make great climate porn. Whenever the media needs a scary visual on global warming, they'll find a dried-up lake bed or a failed wheat crop or some hapless water buffalo's parched bones. But even Al Gore's famous catchphrase about a nature hike through the book of Revelation reminds us that the other 65 books of the Bible speak of droughts throughout history, including the famous seven lean years foretold by Joseph in Genesis chapter 41. They're not new. And while the relationship between rainfall and various kinds of drought is complicated, it seems from the data that droughts are uh, <clears throat> less common now than in the past. Which wouldn't surprise the good folks at CO2Science.org. They reported on a 2017 paper in Doclady Earth Sciences that said that in the Northern Hemisphere, there seem to be various climate cycles with periodicities of approximately 1,000, 500, 350, and 200 years. Could be the sun again. But whatever it is, it didn't start in 1970, that's for sure, which means we're not mostly responsible. Unlike when we engage in bad policy based on bad science, like that stuff about cutting off our own energy sources at the knees to teach Vladimir Putin a lesson. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. And yes, we need more pipelines for warmth, for security, and so we can stand with our allies. <laughs>